This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles On The Beat segment. And uh, really excited tonight. My guest is going to be John Clay. He's a longtime friend and an outstanding columnist for the Lexington Herald-Leader. I think John Clay is absolutely one of the best in the business, and I think you're going to enjoy John's commentary tonight uh, during the second half of tonight's show. But first half, we got a number one team we got to talk about, and we met with Kirby Smart today over there at Busmere Heritage Hall. I'll tell you what, I have not seen Kirby Smart this relaxed all season long. I mean, this is a coach right now who absolutely has both hands on the steering wheel, complete control, complete comfort level. Uh, There's no pressure there. The sense of urgency happens during practice every day. This is just how Georgia does business. The fact that the Bulldogs are number one doesn't change anything whatsoever in Athens. If anything, I think the focus and intensity, if it was possible, is dialed up because Georgia knows what's coming up. Saturday at 3.30 p.m. between the hedges. They remember last year's game against the Kentucky Wildcats. Now, guys like me will throw out their basketball school. Probably a lot of you fans, we look at Kentucky, you know, don't think of them in the same light that we used to think of Alabama, perhaps, uh, you know, or maybe maybe even LSU. They just destroyed a very talented LSU team. Now, LSU's not playing great, but Kentucky will physically destroy you and Georgia knows what kind of fight that they're going to be in for against the Wildcats they mixed it up last year in Lexington remember 14 to 3 last year and an absolute dog fight and I don't think the Bulldogs want to go down that road again you saw they opened as a 24 and a half point favorite the odds may be at 22 and a half but still lots expected from Georgia Bulldogs team uh, has been playing really well a lot of execution but it's Kirby Smart talked about today and he's he's told his players look a couple of those red zone trips for Auburn that can be a different game so Georgia recognizes you don't just roll the ball on the field you've got to do more than show up you've got to execute you got to play tough and they know that's going to be the case now they're going to be between the hedges and they're going to bring about 92,000 of their friends with them and that place is going to be deafening on Saturday at 3 30 for that CBS game now we can talk about game day coming to Athens SEC Nation, all those things are not going to distract Georgia. Georgia was here two weeks ago. They had Arkansas coming in. All the bells and whistles did nothing to take the Bulldogs' focus away. Georgia is accustomed to operating in the spotlight. And I know people are going to ask, well, now they're number one. Is there any extra? Listen, and I wrote this at the beginning of the year. Kirby Smart's Georgia program has been preseason top five four straight years, all right? The only games since 2017 where Georgia wasn't in contention for the national title came last season after they lost to Florida. That was the only time that Georgia lost control of their destiny in terms of playing games with potential national championship implications. Business as usual. That's all this is. Georgia in the spotlight playing to maintain a chance to win a national uh, championship. And and Kentucky's the team that's coming in. Now, earlier today, Kirby Smart did update us on those injuries. 
I want to start there. Uh, I'll start with Christopher Smith, and we'll talk about quarterbacks in a minute and kind of uh, tell me you don't know anything about Georgia without telling me you don't know anything about Georgia commentary here. But let's start out with Christopher Smith, the safety. He popped his shoulder out. That's typically a subluxation. They were able to pop that shoulder back in. Remember Kirby said that Smith uh, put his pads back on and thought he might be able to go in the game. Uh, he, he did not go back in the game. Uh, right now, Kirby's saying that it sounds questionable maybe. Uh, typically a one-week injury. Do we see Smith against the Kentucky Wildcats, or do we maybe wait another week, uh, or excuse me, another two weeks and see him in Jacksonville? Remember, you have a bye week after Kentucky. I tend to think that Smith will be one of these guys maybe available in an emergency situation. My guess is they would hold him out if they can. Jamari Salyer, there was no swelling on that ankle. Remember, he went down to the field. Everybody was going, oh, my gosh, that's your best offensive lineman. He's laying down there and feel okay. It didn't even swell up. So that's good news. Jamari felt like maybe he could go back in the game. Kirby said, nope, kept him out, kept Broderick Jones in. Incredibly valuable reps for Broderick Jones against the Auburn Tigers. Receiver Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint. Uh, ankle injury, could he have gone last Saturday if, if needed? Probably, Kirby says. Um, sounds probable for this game, but my goodness, A.D. Mitchell, what a great job he's doing over there. And if Rosemey Jackson's healthy, does he replace A.D. Mitchell over there at the exit as a starter? I'm not so sure. A.D. Mitchell played pretty well. And I'd say the same thing for Jermaine Burton. I know a lot of people just fall down on the ground and talk about how great he is, but it, the guy is, has been injury prone, and Ladd McConkey was unbelievable there. Um, you know, remember Burton was dealing with a groin, apparently, uh, you know, earlier it was an ankle, you know, we saw a hyperextended knee. Will he be back? Not sure this week. I, I would think Burton may try to go. But again, if you can give him that extra week off and wait until the 30th when you play Florida, why not give him that extra week off? So let's let's call him questionable for now. Same thing with Arian Smith, you know, the shin issue. You know, Arian Smith, 20 snaps in two years, track guy, right? Track guy. And we talked about it. Wanted to run track in the spring, and that's great. But track shape is not football shape, and it's hard to just jump in and be ready. We'll see if Arian Smith is back this week, how much of a contribution. Only halfway through the year. So there's still plenty of time for Arian Smith to do more. Uh, Dominic Blaylock, the hamstring. When when I saw Blaylock run at practice a week ago, it, it didn't. It just didn't look good. It didn't. So I don't know when he'll be back. If he'll be back this season. If he does come back, what's his efficiency? I'm just not sure. Uh, of course, we know Pickens is out, but we know Pickens is targeted Florida. And when we saw Pickens, he looked good. Kenny McIntosh had the hamstring injury. Kirby said it wasn't necessarily a pull. It was more tight. He called it a pull before, but today he clarified. Sounds like Kenny Mack could be back out for the Wildcats. And Amir Speed, the ankle injury that he suffered uh, last week in practice, didn't sound like he was going to be back this week, but you never know. Uh, we'll wait and see. We did see a Tyke Smith play last week. You know, I think you'll see more of him. He'll be competing for snaps with Latavius Brainy. Remember, Brainy can also play safety now. We'll see what happens at that position with Brainy and uh, and Dan Jackson as they both look to for the potential to replace Chris Smith. And, of course, Darnell Washington looked really good. You want to check out DogNation.com. Uh, Connor Riley has a story breaking down all of those injuries from today's press conference on the DogNation.com website if you just kind of want to see it in black and white. All right, quarterback situation. Here we go. It, it, this, this is just the way it is, okay? Stetson Bennett is playing really well. 
Stetson Bennett's game is predicated on a run game, the play-action game, his mobility. Stetson's not a guy that's going to drop back and pick teams apart like JT Daniels. Stetson's not a guy that's going to go to the line of scrimmage and make the same sort of read as JT. He doesn't have the field vision that JT has, and he certainly does not have the arm talent. And when we talk about arm talent, I'm not talking about necessarily arm strength because we saw Stet put a great throw right on Lad McConkey last week. We're talking about those intermediate routes, okay? For a basketball analogy, it's the guy that hits the tough two, right? But those intermediate routes are what make and break a quarterback. It's why JT Daniels is 16 of 18 on third downs. 16 of 18 and nine of his last nine, all right? JT is puts this offense on a completely another level. Now, Stetson is a guy with the mobility that can create some problems, but it's night and day. You don't hear people go, oh, well, he runs well, so he'd be better than Tom Brady. Well, JT's not Tom Brady, but as far as the college game goes, you're talking about a guy with an elite skill set, all right? You're talking about a guy that can get you in the right play every single time. We're talking about the guy that when Georgia was saying, did somebody see that blitz Arkansas just threw at us? JT goes over with a whiteboard and goes, here's exactly what happened. You're talking about mastermind, all right? And, that, and that's what JT brings you. Now, a lot of people love Stet. And, and you guys know I've talked about Stet on this show. I'm on the Stet bandwagon, but he's not JT Daniels. JT is a level above. Now, if you're Kirby, do you go with JT? Well, we don't know JT's health. We don't know how it's going to look in practice. This is a Kirby Smart decision behind closed doors based on how JT's doing this week and how JT looks throwing the ball and how Stet looks throwing the football. So this is a decision to get, regardless of what I say, regardless of what you say, now we've got national columnists, you know, people that don't even follow Georgia football have an opinion. It's like, who are these people? You have no clue what's going on. You're basing this on what you did against Auburn? I mean, sign up the Georgia State quarterback because he looked awful good too against Auburn for a bit there, right? So it's amazing to me that we've got these this late-arriving crowd with a, with a football IQ of about this much that wants to take a snapshot and say, well, based on this, listen, this is this. That we're talking about an entire offseason. Were, were they there last year? I don't think so. Night and day. Stet's improved. Stet is a very good quarterback, but he's not the quarterback JT Daniels is. Now, he's got momentum, and he does bring some running to the table. And against certain teams, I believe that Stet can be very effective. Kentucky stops the run. You're not going to make a living running the football on the Kentucky Wildcats. My opinion, right? But again, Kirby Smart sees all this behind closed doors. Um, you know, even if JT is 100, we may see him rotate. I go back to the South Carolina game. JT was 100. Stett was 100. Coming off a huge performance against UAB where he put up a lot of these numbers that, that are blowing up his quarterback rating. If you look at Stett in the last two games, though, what is Georgia throwing the ball? Like 30 times total? JT did that in three quarters against South Carolina. But the South Carolina game, JT starts, two touchdown drives, that comes in, interception, right? Vanderbilt game, JT first quarter, 9 of 10 passing, would have been 10 to 10. Justin Robbins dropped a pass, that comes in, first, first series, interception. Okay, that's real-world SEC talk. That's apples to apples, right? Take out non-conference, look at the numbers. To me, it's not hard. But again, I'm looking at it. From the season perspective, the off-season perspective, last season, I won't see practice this week. Kirby has shut down practice. I understand. 
There's a lot of guys that could be in, that could be out. He wants to protect that information. If you can do that, good for you. It's his program. Again, understand that completely. So based on what I've seen, though, when you put JT behind the wheels of this offense, they've looked unstoppable in SEC play with JT Daniels. When you put Stett back there, I think Stett does a very good job, but it's a different team offensively. Eric Zire was asked about it last week. Eric Zire said he thinks you need JT Daniels to win a championship. However, he wants to see Stetson keep improving and, and eliminate that whoops throw. We didn't really see that whoops throw against Auburn. We saw Arkansas drop a pick, and we saw picks against Vandy and South Carolina. But again, the quarterback thing is being talked about by the national media, a potential distraction a potential quarterback contribution. That's what a lot of these guys thrive on. They want to see that. This is the divisive name. Oh, my goodness, Georgia has a quarterback controversy. My, my answer is no, they don't. Kirby Smart will make a decision. There's no controversy. He's going to watch practice. He's going to decide how he wants to play him. He's going to do it. No controversy. JT is not going to get to a point where, where he's going to turn into a distraction if he's not the starter. Stett is not going to get to the point where he's a distraction if he's not the starter. There's no controversy. It's Kirby Smart will manage this, and he will do what he thinks is best. You'll share your opinion. I just shared mine. Rock on, right? So uh, talk a little bit before John Clay joins us. He's going to join us in about five minutes. To me, everybody goes, oh, man, can you believe Alabama got beat the other night? Yeah, I can. Yeah. I mean, did you watch the Florida game? Florida should have beaten Alabama in Gainesville. They they had the game if Dan Mullen can execute it and, and on a fourth down call in the second quarter, on a two-point conversion. Uh, yes, if they didn't spot Alabama, was a 21-3? Yes, I do believe that, that Alabama lost. They should have lost to Florida, okay? Uh, Alabama is not like 2020 Alabama. 2021 Alabama ain't that. They lost six first-round picks. Do you see what Najee Harris is doing in your fantasy football league? That guy was in the SEC last year. Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, those guys were lined up for the Crimson Tide. Mac Jones, the starter with the Patriots. Can you believe Georgia was beating that team 24-20 at the half last year? You want to talk about a good coaching job? And everybody went, oh, man, Georgia really blew that. How did they ever lead? This Alabama team ain't that. So, yes, I can believe it. And I was a little worried about Nick Saban. He didn't look like himself. The halftime interview was bizarre. He almost tripped and fell coming off the field. Late night, tough game, bound to happen. And now Alabama with no margin for error. Can they win out? If you look at their schedule, I think they can. I think they will. I think they're the team that Georgia's going to face in Atlanta. And, yes, I think they're capable of beating Georgia. I'm not saying I think they will because I don't. But with that offense, yeah, they are the team that can exploit those corners and get to that secondary. Auburn did a pretty nice job of that. If 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 Auburn's got receivers catching the football, oh my goodness. And I, I think Georgia still wins, but not 34 to 10, maybe 34-24. If Auburn's got guys that can catch the pill, and, and Bo Nick showed you he pretty good quarterback at home. Okay. Pretty good quarterback at home. Did a nice job against that defensive front because that, ladies and gentlemen, is the best defensive front we have seen in college football in a long time. And Auburn did a nice job. Not a nice enough job, but they did a nice enough job. It's 17-3. could have been 17-10 at halftime if Auburn can execute in the red zone. Kirby, Kirby talked about that today. So, yes, I can believe that Alabama – who's the number two team in the country? 
I don't know. You know, the, the most dangerous team to me, if I were going to pick one team to beat George, if I was going to say, if you think George is going to lose one more game this year, who would it be too? I would say the Ohio State is starting to look dangerous to me. I watched a little bit of their game against Maryland. That's a powerful offense. Not as good as last year's, but they can put points up, okay? And they've got a very good defense as well. The Ohio State looks like a team that's going to get better and better and better and better. I know Iowa won. They would not have won if Penn State's quarterback stayed healthy. How about Cincinnati Bearcats? When we were sitting there watching Georgia Cincinnati duking it out and going toe-to-toe, and, and Cincinnati and Des Ritter decided to come back, you thought, boy, Cincinnati could be tough. Then they beat Notre Dame. Then they beat Indiana. Now they have one ranked opponent left. That's going to be SMU. Looks to me like Cincinnati is going to be in the college football playoff. Let me take a quick break here. I want to recognize our sponsor, Ingles. When I come back, you're seeing John Clay on the screen. He tuned in. He said, Mike, I want to hear more about Georgia's playoff chances uh, because Kentucky wants to spoil that party Saturday. When we come back from this break, John's going to tell us how the Kentucky Wildcats aim to knock off Georgia's a 22-and-a-half-point underdog on Saturday. But first things first, let's take this moment and recognize our sponsor, Ingles. in our hearts to feel for you There's been ups and downs, turnarounds There's good days and some bad But we stand together for worse and for better We'll always have your back Open arms, heart to heart Hand in hand Community Well, welcome back. And I promised you, John Clay, and again, as I said at the beginning of the show, this is a, a friend I've had for a really long time, a guy I looked up to. Going back to 1994, we had to go around in this project I was on called uh, SEC Sports Weekly. And they said, Mike, you need to find the best beat writer at every single school in the SEC. And we went to Lexington, and there was John Clay with the Lexington Herald Leader. And 27 years later, we're bringing on the best Kentucky writer onto our show, John Clay. And John, I thank you so much for joining us tonight. And did you think in 1994 that we'd be sitting here and I'd be covering Georgia and you'd be covering Kentucky and they'd be the last two unbeaten SEC teams left in this season? Uh, 1994, Mike, when I was working for your publication, all I was thinking about, those were some pretty late Saturday nights to get back after writing my story for the for the newspaper and then writing for uh, the writing for your publication. But yeah, that was a lot of fun back then. But no, no, I didn't, I didn't think we'd be at this point. No, it was a long you know, time ago. It was it was a long time ago. It was good times. Kentucky was a basketball school back right. then. Kentucky was beating Georgian basketball and nobody was even thinking about Kentucky and football. But but here we are. And listen, I, I have been reluctant. And as I've said, I, I've been one of those guys that throw the basketball school thing out there. They don't take it serious enough. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm late to the party here. But yeah, Mark, Mark Stoops might be a pretty good coach. Huh? I mean, this guy has built a pretty strong foundation. Yeah, he has. Uh, this is ninth year at Kentucky. They won 10 games in 2018, went to the Citrus Bowl and beat Penn State. Uh, and now here they are six, again, just a couple of years later, they're 6-0 and overall undefeated 4-0, ranked, ranked 11th. Uh, yeah, he's built the foundation kind of piece by piece, especially the defensive side of the ball, Mike. Of course, Mark is a lot like Kirby Smart. He has a defensive background. He was a defensive coordinator at Arizona and Florida State before he was hired as a head coach at Kentucky. It took him a little while to get the 
defense build. But once he did, really, if you go back to 2016 and 17, had an elite defense in 18, and he's kind of built on that. And he's got a, another really good defense. Not quite as good as the Georgia defense. Nobody in the country has a defense as good as Georgia, but Kentucky's played pretty good defense to this point. You know, you bring up 2018, and I think about that day at Kroger Field and the de facto SEC East Division title game. And and I remember DeAndre Swift breaking. Georgia doesn't have a running back like DeAndre Swift right now. The offense looks good, but it's not about the same power game. It's more of a finesse team that can hurt you, more of a spread now. Todd Munkin with the pro-style spread with the air raid con- concepts defensively probably a little better how does this Kentucky team compare I see I know you mentioned the defense is really good but they don't have that elite runner or or is Rodriguez that elite runner that we saw Kentucky have in 2018 yeah he's a lot like Benny Snell who they had in fact when Chris came here early on they called him the mini Benny because he had that same sort of style the difference between this Kentucky team and that Kentucky team is on offense uh, new offensive coordinator this year in Liam Cohen, who came from the Los Angeles Rams, where he was assistant quarterbacks coach. He brought with him that Sean McVay offense. It's got a run foundation to it, but a lot of play action. They used the tight end, although not quite as much as we would have expected, but a lot of play action, a lot of deep shots with quarterback Will Levis, who has a strong arm. He's a transfer from Penn State. That's probably the biggest difference. They don't have, they have some really good players on defense, but they don't have a Josh Allen on defense like they had 2018, who was the number seven overall pick in the draft. Uh, but they do have some good players on defense. They're a little beat up right now. That's a little concern on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Mark Stoops announced today that Octavius Oxendine, starter at defensive tackle, is out for the year. Marquand McCall, their nose guard, missed the game last week. It doesn't look like he's going to be available this week. Uh, so they're a little they're a little beat up on the defensive side of the ball. But back to your original question, the big difference is offense. They're more balanced. They throw the ball a little more than they did in 18. That's probably the biggest difference between that the Kentucky-Georgia game back then and the Kentucky-Georgia game we're likely to see on Saturday. John Clay, always learned something when I talk with you, John. Nothing's changed in 27 years. You know, I think about Kentucky and their chances for an upset in this game, and it all starts with the line of scrimmage. You mentioned those two key defensive linemen being out. If Georgia can run the ball effectively, turn the lights out, but still, they've got good linebackers. It's a salty group. They did a decent job against a really talented LSU team. And I'll tell you, the biggest compliment to me was in the first quarter, might have been the first quarter, when when LSU has a fourth down and Ed O is going for it. And I'm going, what in the world? Panic button time? But it was almost as if he knew he better get on the board against those Wildcats early. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, They have a DeAndre Square, a linebacker as a senior. He had a big sack on the first series, the strip sack. Kentucky recovered, went down and scored. Uh, the Jacques Jones, who's a transfer from Ole Miss, is the other starting linebacker. Their secondary, uh, again, they don't have a lot real standout in the secondary, but they got a lot, ex- lot of experience back there. And on the defensive line, Josh Pascal's had a heck of a season so far. He's another guy with a lot of experience. Uh, on the flip side of the offense, you know, the big question is, can Kentucky, are they going to be able to move the ball on Georgia, which no team has done to this point? They're going to have to have a, get a big game out of Will Levis. Uh, like I mentioned, the transfer from Penn State at quarterback. Yeah, another difference probably in, uh, between 18 and uh, should be a factor on Saturday is Wandale Robinson, who's another transfer, transfer from Nebraska. He's a local kid from Central Kentucky. He came back to Kentucky. He's had an excellent season so far. He started off 
with three straight 100-yard receiving games. He had a 41-yard uh, uh, touchdown against uh, Florida. He's caught another touchdown pass on Saturday. If Kentucky's going to be able to move the ball at all, Wondell Robinson's going to have to be a factor on Saturday. And then there's an offensive lineman from LSU. I mean, that was Kirby talked a lot about the offensive line, John. How good are these guys? I think they returned, what, three starters from last year's team? Yeah, and uh, Darian Kennard is their right tackle. is one of the best offensive tackles in the country. They were originally going to play him at left tackle, give him some experience on the left side going into the NFL draft next year. But then they got Dare Rosenthal, a transfer from LSU. He had experience playing left tackle. They liked the way he looked in the preseason camps. They kept him at left, kept Darian Kennard at right tackle. Dare Rosenthal starts at left tackle. But really the key to the offensive line so far has been Luke Fortner, who played guard up until this point. But when Drake Jackson graduated, he kind of been that glue guy on the offensive line. They moved Luke to center, and he's done a heck of a job. They got a lot of yards on Ole Miss right up the middle because of Luke's blocking. He's been kind of, like I said, the glue guy, kind of the anchor of that offensive line. But they've been strong the last few years on the offensive line. It goes back to John Schlarman, the late John Schlarman. Former UK player who was the offensive line coach who passed away after a battle with cancer last year. Eric Wolford came over from South Carolina to be the offensive line coach. He's a Youngstown guy, just like Mark Stoops from Youngstown. And the transition actually has been pretty smooth so far with uh, Coach Wolford on the offensive line. So that's a definite strength of this team. You're right. We're talking with John Clay. He's a columnist with the Lexington Herald Leader. He sounds a lot like a beat writer, but he's a, he's a talented enough guy that he writes <laughs> columns and opinions on everything. But obviously, John, uh, uh, very uh, skilled at knowing his Kentucky depth chart and the keys to this team. And I'll, I'll be honest, John, I was kind of sleeping on this team earlier because I, I saw him beat Missouri. I was like, yeah, all right, they beat Missouri, you know, by a touchdown. I mean, what's what's Missouri? And then we all saw Randy Sanders in UT Chattanooga. I'm thinking Randy Sanders, he was the offensive coordinator at Tennessee. Now he's got UT Chattanooga. He's got Kentucky on the ropes, 28-23. And then kind of a ho-hum 16-10 win over South Carolina. Now they beat the Gators. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what happened in that sleepy three-game stretch? I mean, this is the number 11 team in the country, and they're playing Missouri and UT Chattanooga and South Carolina in a touchdown? What happened? Yeah, that well, part of the problem in those uh, back then was turnovers. Kentucky had a, a problem hanging on to the football, and they weren't creating any turnovers through those games leading up to the Florida game. They were minus nine in turnover margin. They turned it over 11 times. They'd done a better job of that the last two games. They only turned it over once against Florida and did not turn over at all against LSU, and they came up with one turnover, like I mentioned, the strip sack, sack by DeAndre Square. That was their biggest problem early on. They didn't take Chattanooga seriously enough. Uh, and that showed in that game. Uh, the big in South Carolina, yeah, they offensive defensively they played well. Offensively, they didn't they didn't play all that well. They didn't play all that well offensively against Florida either. Uh, they only had 224 yards of total offense. Uh, but that was a big that was a big win to beat Florida. Uh, but yeah, through that stretch, you know, barely survived Missouri. Uh, lackluster effort against Chattanooga, and then able to beat South Carolina on the road, but not, you know, not as convincingly as you would hope against a team like South Carolina. No doubt. Was crowd noise a factor in that South Carolina, John? That would have been their first true road test, right? It could have. Yeah, it could have been. And that that's a good point. I mean, they had some guys on this team who'd never been on the road in the SEC with a full house before. Uh, you had a quarterback and Will Levis. That was his first road start. Uh, you know, he made one start at Penn State, but that was in a home game. So he, he, you know, that could have been a factor. It was definitely a factor in the Florida game on the flip side at home. Florida had eight 
false start penalties in that game. It was a sold out, very loud. A lot of longtime UK uh, football fans said that's the loudest they've ever heard. Kroger Field, it was the first time Kentucky had beaten Florida at home since 1986. They rushed the field after the game, $250,000 fine from the SEC. But I don't think even Mitch Barnhart, <laughs> who likes to make sure Mitch is very good with his money, but I think even Mitch Barnhart was okay with paying that $250,000 after finally beating Florida at home for the first time since 1986. And I think that game gave this team a lot of confidence. The Really, the thing that was impressive about last week, you know, LSU's having its troubles. You know, Orgeron's obviously on the hot seat. But Kentucky, they didn't have a letdown. They just, you know, Mark Stoops said early in the week, we're going to keep our foot on the gas. And they showed that Saturday against LSU. And I thought that was a sign of maturity for this team and for this program. You know, they didn't get their head in the clouds over beating Florida. They came back with a really solid effort against LSU. Yeah, and I'll admit, I, I was wrong. That was one game. I thought LSU was, you know, backs to the wall. I thought the talent would come. And and you're right. K Kentucky showed up and put their foot down and, and didn't give LSU any breathing room dominated that game you know so it was, for those watching the, the on angles on the beach show tonight we're talking with john clay is a columnist covers kentucky football uh john's been doing it a long time uh where does this and i know this you know you know neither one of us are coaches so we can avoid the coach speak we don't have to wait until after the season to give an opinion on where we think this team ranks but how good is this kentucky team compared with others that stoops has had uh, you know, it's hard for me to say it's as good as the 2018 team, uh, but they are 6-0. This is the first time Kentucky's been 4-0 in the SEC since 1977. Uh, so we'll see. I think it's a little more mature than that 2018 team. Like I mentioned, it doesn't have a Josh Allen. Uh, ben, Chris Rodriguez has been really good. I'm not sure he's quite as good as Benny Snell, but he's been really good. Uh, and, in, you know, they had Lynn Bowden on that team in 2018 as well. Uh, Wandale Robinson is kind of like a Lynn Bowden type. Um, so, you know, I, it's hard for me to say that they're as good as the 10 win 2018 team, but they're certainly headed in that direction. The thing of it is, even, you know, as you mentioned, they're a 22 point underdog against Georgia. So it's tough to pick them to beat Georgia. It's tough to pick anybody to beat Georgia. I think they're number one in the country for a reason. Uh, but then they have an off week next week. Then they go to Mississippi State. Now, Mark Stoops is 0 and 8 against Georgia. He's also never won in Starkville. So that'll be a big game. But after that, they get Tennessee. Obviously, Tennessee's playing a lot better, but they get Tennessee at home. They go to Vanderbilt, they get New Mexico State at home, then they go to Louisville. I mean, this team could win 10. It could even win 11 games, even if it loses to Georgia on Saturday. It's, it is at least put itself in a position to do that. We'll see if they can carry through on it. You know, one of the things now, and Kirby Smart talked about this now, for, is the transfer portal and how the portal has affected college football. John, I think nationwide it's had kind of an evening effect because as I look across the nation and, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to water down Georgia season, but I don't see a 2020 Alabama. I don't see a 2019 LSU. I don't see a, a, a 2018 uh, Clemson out there. I don't see greatness outside of the state of the, this Georgia football program rises to that level. But I look around the landscape and I, and I don't see a lot of greatness. I know that the uh, senior bowl scout, Jim Nagy, great follow on Twitter, by the way, said, you know, you look at the upperclassmen in the SEC, they're just not there for numbers wise compared to where it was. So I don't want to call it a down year in the SEC because I don't think there is such a thing. But I don't think it's the teams are seeding senior laden. And I think some are in the growth process and some we're kind of still figuring out. I kind of want you to do this for me, and I know you can do it off the top of your head. 
Kirby mentioned the transfers that Kentucky has. I think Kentucky, based on some of the names you've dropped in, Penn State, Old Miss, LSU guy, it sounds to me like Kentucky really bolstered their roster in the portal. Who are who are those uh, those transfers now playing a major role for Kentucky? Where are they from again? Yeah, absolutely. Well, like I mentioned, Wandale Robinson, wide receiver. Uh, they got him from Nebraska. He played two years in Nebraska. You know, Mark did a – a pretty smart thing, which I think a lot of coaches are going to do with the way the transfer portal is. Kentucky recruited Wanya Robinson really hot, really hard. He's a local kid from Frankfurt, uh, which is about 30 minutes outside of uh, outside of Lexington. In fact, he committed to Kentucky first and changed his commitment, went with Scott Frost in Nebraska. Mark. They kept up a good relationship with uh, Wandale and his family. They wished him luck. Said, you know, we're sorry we're not, we, we, we didn't get you, but, uh, you know, best of luck to you in Nebraska. And then after two years, Wandale decided he wanted to come home. And part of the reason why he wanted to come home is because Liam Cohen is offensive coordinator. He was going to run more of a pro-style offense. And they got Will Levis from Penn State because Liam Cohen had recruited Will Levis when he was at Maine, when he was the offensive coordinator at Maine before he went to the Los Angeles Rams. So he had a connection with Will Levis. That's, Levis was number two quarterback at Penn State. I think he didn't believe he was going to beat out Sean Clifford there, so he came to Kentucky. Uh, Dare Rosenthal, he came to Kentucky, I think in large part because Kentucky got Kelvin Joseph, who was a defensive back from LSU, who transferred to Kentucky, played for UK last year, ended up as a second-round draft pick of the Dallas Cowboys. And when we talked to Dare, you know, Kelvin had a good experience here, experience there, and I think that Dare knew something about the Kentucky program through that. Jacquez Jones, linebacker from Ole Miss, transferred here. He was Ole Miss's leading tackler last year, obviously on a horrible defense, but he was still their leading tackler. John Sumrall, UK's linebackers coach, he used to be an assistant at Ole Miss uh, before he came. He, he played at UK before John came back to UK. He had a connection with uh, – with Jacquez Jones as well. So I think you're going to see more of that, uh, you know, coaches keeping good relationships with players, even if they go someplace else, even if they leave. And uh, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Mark has always been like that. One of, one of the first guys when Mark got here that he recruited really hard was Damian Harris, who ended up going to Alabama. He was a running back from Richmond, just down the road from Lexington, recruited him really hard. He went to Alabama. Same thing with Jed Wills. He was an offensive tackle in Lexington. He went to Alabama. Mark both times wished him luck. Mark even told us that he kept texting back and forth, congratulating them on big on big games and when they were drafted in the NFL. And I think that was a smart move, and I think you see a lot of coaches doing that. I think that's what the smart coaches are going to do. They're not going to, like, you know, cry over they didn't get somebody. They're going to try and keep that relationship going. No doubt. We're going to see the proliferation of agents as well get involved. And they're the NIL agent today, but wink, wink, <laughs> call me coach. He could be available. What kind of NIL deal do you got up there? Uh, and Lexington, I'm waiting for Kentucky to poach one of the Georgia players. I've seen Georgia guys. And I'll tell you, that's really hurt Georgia right now. They've got a deficiency in the secondary. And we look in, and, you know, we see a, a former safety major Burns at LSU. We see a former Georgia safety Tyreek Stevenson at Miami. We see a former Georgia uh, safety Otis Reese at Old Miss. I mean, these are guys that right now, if you plug them in, you know, could be playing for Georgia right now and making this defense even better, we saw Demetrius Robertson, a wide receiver at Auburn. I don't know how much he'd have been on the field this year, but at Auburn, he's a starter. So Georgia's lost a ton of guys in the portal, you know, and they've kind of beat the odds, John. It's interesting. I think I read where about 40% of the guys that go in the portal can emerge 
at the FBS level. That's less than half. And yet when we looked at the 14 from Georgia, all 14 uh, that have transferred out over the last two or three years, all landed playing FBS level. So, yeah, Georgia's got a lot of talent. The flip side of that is holding it. I think Kentucky knows a thing or two about that. And basketball, yes. not, that, not, not that there's anything wrong with it. You know, it's not like Kentucky fans need to apologize because they're known as a, a basketball powerhouse or dynamo. In fact, I said I was waiting to see a Georgia guy land there. You've got a guard, not an offensive guard, a point guard, Severe Wheeler, who is set to be the face of the Georgia program, stiff arms and says, no thanks, I'd rather be a backup or share time at Kentucky. That was one of the more remarkable transfer scenes I've ever seen. By the way, I'm only going to sneak in one basketball question because Georgia fans get mad about it. Some Georgia fans, some Georgia fans, not all. Some will go, wait, basketball. Ah, you're like, wait a minute, this is your school. We don't care, we don't care. How is Severe Wheeler doing at Kentucky? Uh, you know, we we haven't got to see much of him yet, of course. But uh, by all accounts, from what we hear, he's doing he's doing well. He's a that was a position of need for John Calipari. Point guard was not a good spot last year. They never could really settle on a point guard. Uh, now you've got Severe, as you mentioned, coming in from Georgia and a freshman in Ty Ty Washington. They also had Davion Mintz come back. Uh, he's really for his sixth year. He last year he played as a grad transfer from from Creighton. But he's more of an off. He can play some point guard, but he's more off the ball. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see how it goes. The way uh, Cal Perry's talked early on, he could see you know Severe Wheeler and Ty Ty splitting time at point guard. Uh, we'll see who takes that. I think one thing they want to make sure is that Severe Wheeler shoots the ball a little better than he did last year at Georgia. Severe told us that a lot of times he got caught late in the shot clock and he had to take the shot. That's why his shooting percentage fell down. It was funny. It was funny. We uh, They had a camps uh, during the summer. We were allowed to talk to like one player per camp. And when it was the time for to talk to Severe Wheeler, some of us were waiting uh, in this area interview area and Cal happened to walk by and Cal said, what are you guys waiting on? And we said, we're waiting on Severe. And he goes, uh, oh, okay. And then as he was leaving jokingly, he said, uh, ask him about his shooting. Ask him about if he's been working on his shooting. So <laughs> I think yeah. Severe knows the deal. And I'm sure he's been in the gym putting up a lot of shots this summer. Well, that was part of the the problem here was he he was not the gym rat that you would have thought he would have been. In, and he got stuck with the ball because he liked to dribble it around. Hey, listen, the guy's incredibly talented. He's an <laughs> unbelievable personality. You're going to love Severe Wheeler, he was a great ambassador for Georgia while with the Bulldogs. I know Tom Crane uh, really misses him, although Georgia's got a complete reload. Nine new guys. Uh, can't wait to see what Tom Crane does. Obviously an excellent coach. I know a lot of Georgia basketball fans don't follow close enough to realize what a great coach Tom Crane has been at other places if you give this guy some time. But we'll see what happens with Georgia basketball this year. John, before I let you go, dialing it back to football, ESPN game day, SEC Nation between the hedges. I mean, when we put this game into perspective for Kentucky football, how big of a game? Is it the biggest regular season game since the 2018 de facto East showdown number one and number two? What is the Kentucky formula for an upset between the hedges? You know, it's funny because uh, my, my fellow columnist at the earlier Mark story, we, we've been debating this. Mark says the 2018 game was a bigger game because you had the SEC's title on the line. I kind of think this might be the bigger game because Georgia's number one in the nation and they're so good. And Kentucky's playing so well right now. I think Georgia was number six back in 18. Kentucky was also number 11. But it's obviously a big game both ways. For Kentucky to have a chance at upset, they're going to have to you know play at their absolute best. Mark Stoops said that today. They're going to have to get some turnovers, which is something they haven't been able to do 
uh, and they're going to have to find a way to make some big plays. Uh, like I mentioned with Wandale Robinson, uh, with Will Levis, he does have a strong arm. He does throw a nice deep ball. They've got to be able to hit on some of those chunk plays because I just don't see any way they're going to be able, even as well as Kentucky runs the ball, Georgia just so good defensively. I don't see any way they can just grind the ball down the field against this Georgia defense. Well, I can tell you, folks, this this is how I know I've had John Clay on the show. You can see my note. Every time I talk with John Clay, there's a piece of paper in front of me that looks like this because he's an incredibly knowledgeable man. He's a wonderful journalist, and, and he, he's been a great friend to me the last uh, 27 years in journalism. And I'll tell you, uh, you, you don't meet many guys like John Clay that stay with you. John, tell folks where people can follow you on Twitter, please. You can follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV. At John Clay Ivy, you know Stetson Bennett's an Ivy here, so we got another Ivy. That's John. right. I, that we've got that in common. John Clay four was taken, so I took uh, took the Ivy. I'm a fourth as well, so that's why uh, I like. You know, Mark Stoops was very complimentary of Bennett today. He said he really likes the way he's played and what he's done at Georgia. I asked Mark. I said, "Do you see much difference between Bennett and JT Daniels?" He said, "I don't see a whole lot of difference." And in fact, he goes, "I think Bennett is playing really, really well." Of course, some of that I'm sure is coach speak. But I think I think he's right. I think he has played really well. You would know more than myself about that, but I think he has played well. He he has. I, I think some of that's probably wishful thinking from uh, from Coach Stoops. But <laughs> it, this is in contrast to Brian Harson, who, when asked how good Stetson Bennett was, said he was good enough to win. Yeah, I mean, which was kind of like I, I'm going to read between the lines on that one. Like, yeah, he wasn't the guy that beat you. No, he wasn't. And uh, DT Daniels is a guy though with with some juice on the arm that absolutely paralyzes defenses and a lot of what JT Daniels does is, is is a lot what Jake Fromm did believe it or not John there's still some Georgia fans who are like oh Jake Fromm wasn't good it's like no no you don't understand when you've got a guy who can go to the line of scrimmage and make the read and get you in the right play every single time that paralyzes the defense because they can't they can't win with scheme. They can't overload one side. As Jake Fromm used to tell us, he gets out of trouble before he gets in trouble. So the fact that he wasn't a running quarterback didn't matter because you weren't getting him with the blitz. He was going to audible. He was going to change the protection. He was going to find the hot receiver. Back then, Georgia had some guys running the wrong routes. When you have a quarterback who can do what Jake Fromm did, what JT Daniels can do, defensive coaches like Mark Stoops absolutely hate it because they can't change at the last minute and get in the right play. And so that's why Stoops would rather see Stetson Bennett than JT Daniels. And, and, and JT, not only can he change the play, he can make all the throws. He's got an NFL arm. We'll see if he's in good enough condition. I, I did hear from Kirby that he was throwing pain-free before the game. Those weren't long grip-and-rip throws. We'll see how – well, we won't see. We won't see how JT does. We'll hear from Kirby on the SEC teleconference, and he'll probably say, that would be a game-time decision. So right. we'll find out Saturday when they try it out there. John, thank you so much for joining. My goodness, I realize I just kept you 10 minutes longer than I said I would. I apologize. Thank no you so much for joining me tonight, John Clay. Always great to talk to you, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Anything I can do for you, let me know, man. We'll be in touch. John Clay, uh, man, the guy's so good. And, you know, I see comments, oh, you're talking. Listen, th this is the one place where you can hear the expert talk about the other, not the TV people that are going to read John Clay's stories and regurgitate what he says and what he writes. That's real time Kentucky expertise. And, uh, and that's what my Monday night show is about in season. I like to bring on the other beat writer. I like 
for you to know what's going on with the other team, what their agenda is, who their key players are, because you're going to be reading and hearing more about Kentucky from Kirby Smart all week long. Some of the things that I heard from John there that I wrote down, that we, the Will Levis guy, strong arm, right? This is a guy who could give Georgia trouble downfield. It sounds like they have an offensive line that could be the best that Georgia's faced this year. We'll wait and see. Arkansas we thought would be pretty good. I didn't think it was that good. Uh, Kentucky may have the offensive line to hurt you deep. Kentucky, I believe, does have the best run game that you've seen all year. Rodriguez does lead the SEC in rushing. Now you can look at that schedule, and I asked John, what happened against South Carolina, uh, UT Chattanooga, uh, these close games, Missouri, you know, these weren't blowouts. They were turning the ball over, right? There's that turnover ratio. So right out the gate, you know, one of the things I think about how could Kentucky, you know, contend or stay close to Georgia turnovers is the answer. Uh, it sounds like Kentucky's had a propensity for turnovers. You know, to me, that's going to favor Georgia. You know, Kirby has been harping. He wants more turnovers. He talks about elite they have not been elite in the turnover department, not elite enough to satisfy Coach Smart. So they will be looking for turnovers. You heard that Kentucky had a propensity for those earlier this season. I looked at Will Levis. I believe he had six picks in the first five games. So if Georgia can slow down that Kentucky game on the ground and put Kentucky in some pass situations, we know that Kentucky is prone to turnover. That is where Sanford Stadium between the hedges plays a role. That's what the Sharpies in Vegas are seeing when they put down that 24.5 or 22.5 point line. They're thinking Kentucky turnover. I'm thinking Kentucky turnover. But it has still been impressive what Mark Stoops has done. The fact that Kentucky is 6-0 and for the first time since 1950, you've got to tip your cap. Other people are playing good football out there. It's just that no one, no one has played as good as Georgia football. This Georgia football team, we can look because, again, we follow this team closely. We all know the flaws because Kirby talks about them. Kirby challenges these players, all right? The flaws, the cornerback position, Keely Ringo. PFF keeps throwing these BS stats out there. Oh, best could be. Listen, Keely dropped an interception in the end zone. They were targeting Keely. Nick's whistled the ball past his ear. That's your weak point, all right? Now, that's saying something. When you've got a five-star guy and that's your weak point on defense, that's saying something. But Keely is a corner not there yet. You're going to see Kentucky continue to attack him and Breeny when they're on the field. That is where Bobo went at Ringo and Breeny. If you're looking for the weak spots, you know, that doesn't mean that they're horrible players, but every defense has a weak spot. It's it's Ringo and it's Breeny, and that's where they're going to attack. It says a lot about Darian Kendrick. I think he has quietly had a very strong year for Georgia. Great transfer from Clemson. So congrats to DK. Here's a guy whose life was off the rails at Clemson, and he's come into this Georgia program. He's been no distraction. There's been no outfield issues. The guy has gotten dialed in and played great football for Georgia. So I think the DK Darian Kendrick story, I think it's time we need to start thinking about writing that story and talking about that with Coach Smart. Perhaps during the bye week, we can have an opportunity to get to Darian Kendrick because that has been a wonderful story for DK, uh, who has who has a, a child and, and his ability to come into Georgia, fit in, and perform at that cornerback position. And thank goodness, if you're a Georgia fan, for DK. 
because if DK wasn't there, uh, that would be a huge problem for Georgia. Jalen uh, Kimber would have been the starter opposite him. Of course, he had shoulder surgery, uh, the issue in the Scott Sinclair weight program in the offseason. Uh, it happens. Guys get hurt. Um, you know, more probably more probably hear more about that before, you know, Kimber's career is over. He's a guy I think is going to come back and reclaim a starting job next spring. So that is going to be worth staying tuned into uh, Jalen Kimber with the shoulder, him being out a lot of different, you know, now Amir speed out with that ankle Kirby told us. So, you know, keep an eye on that cornerback position. Kamari Lasseter, freshman Kirby said was a star in fall camp. Georgia would really like to see him evolve the sooner, the better they need depth at corner they need depth in the secondary tyke smith back this week uh was back last week played a few snaps you're going to see more of tyke he's going to work at the star kirby said brini a guy who's crossed train though brini not only will play the star he will play safety as georgia looks for answers behind christopher smith if christopher unable to go kirby said and i brought up at the start of the show that this is an injury where he may be out another week and then they might just wait until the florida game so again Connor Riley with a story about the injuries posted on dognation.com. I did a story about number one I want to talk a little bit about before the show's over with. You know, George's last number one stint technically, college football playoffs had him number one in 2017. When the first poll came out on October 30th, it was Georgia. When the second poll came out, it was Georgia. And then they went down to Auburn and, and, and had the beatdown, which to this day, uh, I, I still didn't ever see that coming. I thought 2017 Georgia was the best team in college football all year long. I know they had that bad Saturday at Auburn. Uh, Auburn running back ran wild. And uh, and that was the one setback they had. Really, again, best team in the country. It was just unfortunate the way that the college football playoff committee uh, set that whole thing up uh, to me. Uh, before that, 2008, start of the 2008 season in the preseason top 25 was the last time that Georgia was number one in the AP top 25 poll. The AP top 25 poll is uh, generally speaking recognized as is the is the one with the with the most credibility, um, you know, because you have a large cross section of voters from around the country. Coaches have a tendency to, to vote, uh, you know, with 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 agendas uh, like this coach, don't like this coach, vote my own team high, vote my own conference high. So the coaches poll has kind of lacked the same credibility as the AP poll. Uh, so we use the AP typically as our gauge. Last time Georgia number one preseason. Uh, number one, Mark Rick, 2018. And here's the thing, you know, because we, we're making it, we're going to talk in a minute ago, last time Georgia was number one in season, 1982. You go, what happened in 2008? It's not like they went out there and lost. It's not like they couldn't handle being number one. It's not like they weren't tough enough. They go out there and they beat Georgia Southern and, and, and they just didn't win impressive enough for the pollsters. You know, they won 45 to 21 with Matt Stafford, AJ Green and Sean Marino. And they dropped. They dropped. Okay, look back. Would that happen in today's world? No, you couldn't. You wouldn't win a game, win a game 45-21 and drop. But back then, Pete Carroll had built USC's reputation up so much. Everybody had this itchy trigger finger to move USC up. And when USC went on the road and beat Virginia 52-7, to I went, oh, there it is. We're going to jump USC over Georgia. And so Georgia stayed at number one was over, even though they won with Matt Stafford. It was the it was USC quarterback, John David Booty. You look back on that now and go, what were we thinking? Well, I wasn't one of the voters in 2008, but what were people thinking? Well, this is where the perception of a program can overcome the reality. That Georgia team really was the number one team. I would take Matt Stafford, A.J. Green, and Sean Marino over the 2008 USC roster. 
right? So interestingly enough, uh, Georgia went on to win the next two games, by the way, before they lost their first game of the season on September 6th. They lost to Alabama at home. So would they have lost if they were number one? Probably. But the point of the matter is, when Georgia was number one in 2008 in the preseason, it's not like they just went out there and rolled over and died and didn't handle it. It's just that back then, I think they, people thought there was a lot more parity. Ohio State was kind of duking it out. People thought USC was all that under Pete Carroll. Little did they know that, that those were the last remaining days of what, what glory was left over under Pete Carroll and, the, and that the Trojans would take a dive. And they haven't done anything great since, since they produced uh, JT Daniels for Georgia football, right? Uh, 1982, you go back, you dial it back. The last time Georgia was number one in season, you go back to 1982. And uh, it really, that Georgia team didn't jump to number one until November 8th. Okay. So that's a team with Herschel Walker that had won the national championship Herschel's freshman year. Uh, you know, just an absolute machine of a team and couldn't get to number one until the November 8th poll after they beat the Florida Gators. And the only reason Georgia went to number one is because Notre Dame beat Pitt. Pitt. Pitt Panthers, right? What are you talking about? 1982? Is this a is that a Johnny Majors? Pitt team. I'm gonna have to go back and look it up. I'm guessing it might have been Johnny Majors or Jackie Shiro. Somebody out there can Google that real fast. So that Pitt team was number one and undefeated. They lost to Notre Dame 31-16 on November 6th. SMU was number two. They beat Rice 41-14 and Georgia jumped them. They said, What in the world is going on? I'm wondering if that's a Pony Express here. That sounds like an Eric Dickerson, Craig James era for the uh, SMU Mustangs. Uh, you know, a, a team that back then bought players. Boy, if they had NIL. Uh, they'd have been doing just fine back then. You think about some of the the, the uh, penalties and the, the uh, infractions that people had now. We just kind of shrug our shoulders and go, yeah, so what? Uh, you know, so we got a car, right? Uh, they all, you know, nowadays they, you know, there's money for players, uh, funding and ways for players to get enough money to buy that and finance things. So not the, not the big deal that it once was, I suppose. Uh, Georgia stayed number one through the 82 season, by the way. They, they knocked off Auburn and Georgia Tech. Uh, before losing to Penn State in the national championship game, 27-23. So that's kind of a brief recent history of Georgia at number one, 2017 college football playoff rankings, 2008 preseason. And then you got to dial it all the way back to 1982. So the things that Kirby Smart is doing and the, and the environment that he has brought, the level of play, the level of expectation, the scrutiny, uh, you know, this is four straight years, George, in the preseason top five. I think they'd only been in the preseason top five like three times in their history before Kirby. So Kirby Smart is doing some big things. Georgia football this season, in my opinion, and I'm not trying to jinx anybody, and I'm not trying to add any pressure because it doesn't, right? What I say doesn't change what's going to happen inside of Buttsmere Heritage Hall. But to me, this is Georgia's national championship to lose. Georgia right now, head and shoulders above the rest of the country. I don't think there's another team in the country right now on a neutral field, all things being equal, that's within double digits of Georgia. I think Georgia's two touchdowns better than everybody. That's my opinion. I think Cincinnati would be one of those teams. If we were talking about who's number two, I think it could be Cincinnati. I think the Ohio State, even though I have not moved them up in my poll that high yet, because I do play the transitive properties, right? I'm a bit of a stickler here. And Oregon – went to Ohio State and beat the Ohio State in Columbus, Ohio. And therefore, as long as both teams have one loss, unless something ridiculous happens, I'm going to keep Oregon a notch ahead of Ohio State. And because Michigan and Michigan State are undefeated, I'm going to keep Michigan and Michigan State ahead of Ohio State. But if you put a gun to my head and said, who do you think would win right now between those three teams, I would take Ohio State. 
But in all fairness, and, and to me, everybody's different on how they vote, right? I, I can't just say, well, Texas A&M just beat Alabama, so I think they're one of the top five teams in the country. Saturday night they were, but they're not in the top five on my poll because I can't just pretend like they didn't just lose to Mississippi State and Arkansas. So for me, it's somewhere between who's the best and what do you deserve? And I like to give preference to those undefeated teams because as, as smart as I think I am, and I do like any other person that's done it 30 years and followed it closely, I, I think I've, I've got a pretty good idea what's going on, but not to the extent that I'm going to overstep an undefeated team. I mean, who am I to say that Michigan or Michigan State won't beat Ohio State this year, right? There's, there's past evidence that Ohio State has more talent, but I've seen, I've covered Michigan State. I've seen Michigan State beat Urban Meyer at Ohio State when he had Ezekiel Elliott and Michael Thomas uh, with their third-string quarterback. So I know what can happen and, and just kind of explaining those polls, but, but dialing it back right now, the, the four-team playoff, who do I think? I think we're going to see Georgia. I think we're going to see Cincinnati. I think we're going to see the Ohio State, and I think we're going to see Oklahoma. And I think we're going to see Georgia play either Cincinnati or Ohio State first and, and then Oklahoma against the other. And, and I think we're going to see a Georgia-Ohio uh, State national championship game right now. That's what I think right now on this day. Now, things can change quickly. Injuries happen. Teams get hot. Teams emerge. Like I said, don't, forget, don't sleep on Alabama. That's a young team, and you saw what Nick Saban said. He told his guys, don't ever forget how this feels. There's a value to that. There's a value to that. They hadn't lost since 2019. We'll see how Alabama responds. We know Alabama's got the offense to score on Georgia. I don't know that they have the defense to stop a JT Daniels-led uh, Georgia aerial assault, especially the way Lad McConkey has stepped up, especially the way A.D. Mitchell has stepped up. Darnell Washington is just getting started. Get ready for that train to roll downhill. And, oh, yeah, Brock Bowers, who's been the best receiver on the team to this point. This offensive line will continue to get better. This run game will continue to get better. The offense will do nothing but get better moving forward once you have JT at 100. And now you know Stetson Bennett can win these big games as well and bring you an entirely different dimension. So right now, if you're a Georgia fan, you've got to be excited. This is a great weekend. Uh, game day coming here. This is twice in three weeks. What a boom for the Georgia economy here in Athens. Huge for the infrastructure of the city. For Athens to get this sort of attention, it's it's well overdue. A wonderful opportunity for Athens to get some uh, publicity and for people to really appreciate uh, and really know the joy of Sanford Stadium, one of the top five campus environments in the country, in my opinion, much better uh, you know, than any neutral site NFL stadium. Just uh, those sites, just they just do nothing for me. I am a game day guy. I'm not a game week guy, right? The only time I like game week is when I'm covering a bowl somewhere, right? In college football, today's world, I'm a game day guy. I want to walk in. I want to see the pageantry. I want to hear the band. I want to see the, 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 the cheerleaders and the majorettes and the mascots and the fans decked in colors and and, and see the college campus and the beautiful, well-manicured lawns and buildings and, and hear the alumni talking about when they went to the game when they were this age and, and you know, when they lived in that hall right over there that you can see. That, to me, is college football, man. That's what I'm all about. NFL Sunday is a completely different story. You know, I'm not about, uh, you know, the some of the tailgating I see in camper lots. That reminds me too much of NASCAR. I did NASCAR coverage for 20 years of my career. I loved it. But that was NASCAR, okay? That wasn't college football. 
different animal in my book. Listen, I hope you guys have enjoyed tonight's show. Tomorrow night, Connor Riley, who, by the way, guys, give him a shout out because Connor Riley has done an outstanding job producing today's show. I want to thank Connor uh, for filling in for Michael Carbell as the producer. You guys don't know that, but Connor is our MacGyver. Uh, incredibly talented young journalist. Thank you for your production tonight, Connor. Tomorrow night, Connor is going to have Connor in coverage on this channel. You're going to want to check that out. Wednesday night, Jeff Centel, who came to Georgia Media Day. Jeff put the tie on. They love Jeff. Jeff is universally loved. Jeff writes nice things about recruits, says nice things about people. He's our glue guy. Uh, Jeff came to Athens today, uh, had uh, some flashbacks to when he was a student at UGA, I think. And uh, he helped us out. You're going to see a story from Adam Anderson, from Jeff Centel. And Wednesday night, he's going to be uh, before the Hedges show. Thursday night, we do our cover four, where depending on our moods, you'll think we all either hate each other or we're all related. Somewhere in between. Just depends on how we're feeling and what we're discussing or arguing or what kind of mood B.A. is in, what headset he's wearing. Whatever you guys give B.A. a horrible time that night. He's a great sport about it. Um, and, and why? Because he does it every day on Dog Nation Daily. And you see him every day at Dog Nation Daily at 10 o'clock. So you can see Brandon Adams every day at 10. You can see him host cover four on Thursday night. Uh, a side note for my programming, typically you see me on the Fine Bomb Show Thursday at 5.15. This week, I'll be on Fine Bomb Friday, 5 p.m. on stage from campus. Look forward to seeing Paul in person. I haven't done an in-person show with him since SEC Media Days. Uh, and I haven't done a Friday pregame show with him uh, I want to say since the 2019 season. So I look forward to being on stage with Paul. It's a lot easier to be in person with Paul, you know, than it is on camera. Cause on camera, when they set us up with a split screen, I never really know what kind of mood Paul is in. I really don't know what is he, is he going to open the floor for me to just talk or is he going to back me into a corner and ask me to come out swinging? I never know in person. I have a little bit better of a vibe and I'm a little bit more comfortable in person than I am split screen because I don't know where. So anyway, it's, it's going to be a great week. It's exciting to cover a number one team. I hope you all enjoy watching this number one, enjoy the ride. Don't worry about the end of it. I know we're going to discuss it. Don't worry about that. But right now, just enjoy knowing that the team you follow, the Georgia Bulldogs is considered the number one team in the country. And that is unanimous. Everyone have a wonderful week and we'll talk to you later.